0: It is true, though, when you think about it, isn't it that how how deceived people can be? Right when the truth could be staring them right in the face, and yet they can be so deceived. This was just one of the uh, the skits that was performed at camp this past week, and they did a wonderful job. Uh, all of them did a wonderful job. And as I was, as I sat and watched this, was, was the second time I had seen it. I thought, well, it really fits with what we're talking about in Second Peter, doesn't it? Uh, and how people can be deceived, and they deceive themselves for. For the wrong reasons, and we definitely uh, saw that here. And uh, and so as we're turning to Second Peter chapter 3, I want you to think through where we've been so far in this passage of Second Peter in chapters 1 and 2, and we've talked about it, the importance of being established in the truth, and, and so that uh, we aren't toppled over by the waves of false doctrine. In chapter 2, we learn that, that false teachers were going to come inside even the church itself with their destructive doctrines, and... And uh, we saw the depravity of those teachers, the, the coming doom of those teachers. Uh, this week we're going to see a, uh, a new type of false teacher as Peter changes direction a little bit in uh, chapter 3. And today we'll look at, at chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So let's read those first and then we'll, we'll walk through them uh, together. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, um, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's begin today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word today, Lord, we are reminded that these are not just words of Peter, these are the words that the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write so that we could read them. And so, Lord, we know this is this is coming from you. So, Lord, I pray that we would reverence your word in such a way that we would let it impact us today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we go back and we, we uh, walk through this a, a, a little bit, let's go back to verse 1. And I don't know about you, but when I first read the word beloved there... I uh, it, was a, it was a great change of pace because if you remember, I know I, I, I wasn't here last week, but I thank you, Pastor Tim, for, uh, for uh, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim's dad, Pastor Dave, for uh, for preaching for me last week while I was gone at camp. I appreciate that. But if you think back two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, um, you'll, you'll remember that the very last thing that we read. Peter was talking about the false teachers, and he's using words like dogs and sows, right? So it's kinda of nice to come into to chapter three and verse one, and he turns his attention to the, to the church, and he begins with with, with calling us beloved. And, and the idea here isn't even that so much that he loves them, even though I think that's part of it, he's saying they're beloved because you are beloved by God, and they would call each other the, the loved ones, the beloved ones, and, and so it's just a friendly way to get it started. And uh, then he talks about his goal there. He says, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. And I think it's interesting here that he, he, he talks about their, their pure minds and the importance of having their pure minds. Now, some of the translations that you have out there um, might say sincere minds. That's a, a perfectly good translation of that as well. Pure or sincere. And, uh, and it's interesting to me that there's two different words in the original language in, in Greek um, for, th- for the idea of being sincere or pure, and both of them are etymologically connected. That's a big word, isn't it? I'll explain in a second. Etymologically connected to the same illustration. Etymology just means the history of how a word, uh, how the, how a word has been used. And so bo- these two words, and the, and the first one is, is, uh, <coughs> is something that everyone in here who speaks Spanish will understand uh, quite, quite uh, easily, but the word sincera, And in Spanish, the word "sin" means what? Without. The word "cera" means what? Well, you guys need to study your Spanish. (laughs) I know you guys know it. There, so uh, it means wax, right? So literally, the word "sincere" when we means without wax. Say, now what does that mean? This this goes back to a pottery illustration. And and back when they would make pottery, oftentimes if you did not bake the pottery correctly, there would be very small cracks in it. But if you bake the pottery more more quickly, you can sell more, make more money, right? And so sometimes they would sell these, but they'd have these little cracks in it, and and it won't hold water. So you know what they did? They would take wax, put it on the inside, and they would fill in those little gaps with a little bit of wax. That way, it would hold water it would hold the water while they're there and they purchase it, they take it home and within a few days, it's no good. Does that make sense? So it was a way of cheating the customer by putting wax in there. Things so to be sincere is without wax. The, the word here comes from the exact same, uh, same analogy here and it's el crines, which means sun-tested. So you can imagine when they would take a, a, a pot and once you've bought one or two that leaked after a couple days, you wanna test it, right? So what do you do? You take the pot, you cover up the light, and you hold it up to the sun. And then if, if there's any cracks that have been filled with wax, the sun would come through. That's called sun-tested. Does that make sense? And so that was the, the, the illustration you saying that your minds need to be elecrimes, be or sun-tested to make sure that they hold water. And I can't think of a better understanding of everything we've talked about so far because all of these false doctrines are intended to look good from the outside. They sound good. They seem like they hold water in the moment. But when time passes, you realize, this, I got sold a raw deal here, right? And that's what the, the worldly philosophies that are out there. And so he appeals to their pure minds. and like, you need to have these sun." tested minds, and, and the idea behind, uh, uh, behind that is that false doctrine is going to give the appearance of truth, but it, it has to be, our doctrines have to be sun-tested, and so how do we do that? Well, let's look at verse 2. Uh, verse 2 gives us uh, uh, some clues as to how to make sure that our philosophy, our understandings Our son tested as well. Verse 2 we read, That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So you say, you really have to go back to the two sources of truth that are that are that are so important. And and this is how you can filter out what's true and what's not true. You go back to these original two sources of truth. Two of them are mentioned in here. The first one was the holy prophets. Now remember, these are sun-tested in the sense that we know that they were, they were true because God even told them, this is how you can tell who a true prophet is and a false prophet. You remember that all the way back in Deuteronomy where he explains, if a prophet is of God, what percentage of his prophecies will come true? 100. Now if it's 99.5, then what were you supposed to do? Kill him, because he's not from God. He's just a really good guesser. Right? Um, uh, you've heard of Nostradamus, right? And how how he came up with all these predictions, and it's amazing. And I had uh, I saw someone say uh, did the math and said almost 25 percent of his predictions came true, and it's amazing. I'm thinking uh, that's not even close to every single prophet we find in the Old Testament. Amen. And, and so the, the, Old the Old Testament prophets. They're sun-tested, they're proven. They had information that, that human beings could not have. They were able to do things that human beings could not do. And God confirmed their message through signs and wonders and various miracles according to Hebrews chapter two. So the holy prophet, these are sun-tested truths. So when you, when you go from, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, or as I used to say, Malachi, the only Italian prophet. <laughs> That's a joke. But you go through all of them. You know what? It's true. It's thus saith the Lord. Sun-tested. It's true. The second group that he mentions, he said, he talks about himself. He, says, he said, uh, uh, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So then you have the apostles, who the, the apostles... Were, were walk, they walked with Christ, right? They, 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 they saw him day in, day out, and then Jesus even said the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and, and remind you of all the things that you have seen and heard, and even tell you of the things that are of the future, and they recorded that in what we now know as the New Testament. So now you can go from Matthew all the way to Revelation, and what you have is, is the whole, whole thing. You have the Bible. And so you want to sun test your beliefs? Then, then filter everything you hear through this book right here. Nothing more, nothing less, right? And, and you can't take out portions of the Bible like Thomas Jefferson did. He cut out all the portions he didn't like and, and now it's in, on display in the museum. Uh, you, you can't add to it. This is the reason, for example, why we don't have apocryphal books in, in, our, in our Bible. And some Bibles uh, may have extra books, and we don't have them. Why? Because the source doesn't go to the, to the prophets, or the, and the source doesn't go to the apostles. If, if, the, if it is not somehow sourced in the prophets or the apostles, then we don't put it in this book so that people don't mistake that for being elevated to the level of this book. Does that make sense? There are a lot of good Christian books out there, and, 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 but we don't elevate any of them to the level of this book. Why? Because this is sun-tested. This is the truth. This is what comes from God. And uh, and, and this is how we know. So We can test everything else through this book. Now, let's continue to read verses 3 and 4. And this is where the warning comes in. Verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So here we have scoffers that are coming. The word scoffer simply means mocker, right? Someone who makes fun of of others. You have scoffers that they're they're critics. Uh, Their their job is to make fun of people and, and make fun of the truth in this context. He's saying, in the last days, this is what's gonna happen. Scoffers are going to rise up. And they're going to have this this message, and, and, and they're going to mock you for believing the truth. And that's, the, that's the point. If you believe the truth, then you're going to be mocked. If you stand for the truth, you will be mocked for it. And you know, I know sometimes it's easy for us to get discouraged when we get mocked by those around us, isn't it? And, and if we're honest, how many of us ever feel like, boy, I'm almost afraid to tell the truth to people because we're going to be mocked for it. Anyone else feel that way sometimes? Because, because the, the world makes fun of us for it. And, and, uh, and what we find out here is that that should be expected. That, that should be expected. You, you know the truth and you share the truth. You can count on people mocking your worldview. Don't let that discourage you. Let it be a sign to you that maybe you're on the right path. Right Now, just because people mock you doesn't mean what you believe is true. Right? So I wouldn't say that every time someone mocks you, you can assume it's true. But if you are never being mocked for your faith, chances are you're following the crowd. And the crowd doesn't get it right. And so it's important for us to uh, to understand. Now what is it it that the the mockers say? So what's the message of the mockers uh, that we find? Let me reread it, it, verse four. It says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, talk about ancestors there, since they fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the begin the beginning of creation. Their message: they're saying, "Wait a minute! How can you believe in something that's going to happen? Some kind of all this stuff that you Christians believe? How can you believe all that when really things have just been the same way for forever, from from the time of our ancestors to to, to now? We're just here, happenstance. It's it's time and chance and." And uh, there's no God who intervenes. So the message of the mockers is, is first that there is no God, or at least there is not one who intervenes. And uh, they call they call us interventionists. That's one of the words that atheists use for us, because we believe that there's a God who intervenes in the in history. There's a God who actually doesn't. So to them, it would make no sense to pray, for example, because if there's a God, He would not intervene. So to them. They're atheists or practical atheists. For us, it's we're we're, we're nuts, and that's what they're going to make fun of us. They're going to make fun of us for believing in anything beyond what we can see right here, right now. That's the message of 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 the mockers. And by the way, I I would say this is the official stance, the official doctrine of our public schools and universities. If you say anything different than this, then you are going to be swimming upstream in your schools. In universities, Isn't that true? And so we have to understand that's, that's where the culture is, and uh, and that's where they're going. A couple of illustrations, when I thought of the word mocker, thought, who do we have in our culture who is paid to mock? I mean, this is what they do all the time, and uh, a couple of them came to mind. One is uh, Bill Mayer. I don't know if you're familiar with Bill Mayer. This, it's what his job is, and this is what he had to say. Um, He said, the difference between the three Abrahamic religions, by the way, the only three monotheistic religions, the beliefs in one God, Christianity, mumbling to the ceiling, Judaism, mumbling to the wall, Islam, mumbling to the floor. Do you see what he's getting at? You see, when we mumble, we're really communicating to nobody. Nobody's listening, no one understands what we're... We're just communicating to, no, to nobody. And so the idea behind this statement is that if you are praying to God, what are you doing? You're mumbling to the ceiling. If you're a Jew praying to the wall, like they do at the Western Wall, you're mumbling to the wall. If you're, if you're a Muslim, you're, you're mumbling to the floor. I would agree with two-thirds of what he said, personally. But that doesn't make me one or two-thirds atheist. Right? You, see, you see, this is a way of mocking the very belief that God exists. Or, the, or at least the belief that when you pray, there's a God who intervenes. And so they want to live in this world where there is no God, where you can say, from the way it's been for our ancestors to the way that it is now, things are always the same. We just, we just live the, the, the way that we want. Uh, here's, here's another one. John Stewart was a, is another one. And this is a, a quote that he made. It said, Religion, it's given people hope in a world torn apart by religion. Ooh, sharp words, isn't it? it you know, like the, here, the only purpose for religion is to give people a false hope because the world is so bad because of people who are involved in religion. Now, there's all sorts of logical fallacies with his thinking. We won't break all of that apart. Uh, but there are major problems with this. For one, he's lumping all religious people together. And just because people of a false religion cause, cause violence doesn't mean that you can attribute that to all religious people. Amen? But this is the, this is the sentiment. And I, I, when we've seen it happen since, uh, you know, for, for the last several decades. In fact, you might remember the song uh, Imagine by John Lennon. Remember John Lennon? And uh, the words, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. That's a, a world without God, isn't it? That's Imagine this. Uh, he goes on to say, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope, uh, I hope someday that you'll join us and the world will live as one. See what they're getting at? If we could just erase God then we would all live in peace and harmony. That is not true. Have you ever been to some godless places? People don't get, they don't hug each other and get along. They, they protect themselves, right? And they have their, a hand on their wallet when they're walking through the streets. That, that when you, the more godless a place is, you find, the more problems there are. But this is the, the, the sentiment that the world is bringing on. Hugh, Hugh Laurie, he's, uh, he plays an, um, an actor, Uh, in a show called House. Of course, he plays the role of a genius. And on that show, his lead character says, if you could reason with religious people, there would be no religious people. It's not even reasonable to believe. Or here's an unknown one. I'll finish with this one uh, as far as illustrations go. Uh, Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Give a man a religion, and he'll starve to death praying for a fish. And this is, this is the environment in which we live right now. This is the popular, and it's open season on Christians right now, is it not? Yes. And so the mockers are out there, and what I find interesting is that Peter said it's in the last days when they're going to rise. Now, there have always been mockers, but here we get to a point where that is, that is the defining attribute of our culture, is that they're mockers. And in fact, they're, they're the celebrities of our culture who can mock the best, Right? And and this is where where we're at. Um, And they mock the very idea that there is an interventionist God. But look at verse three. Look at verse three. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Why do they want to believe in a godless universe? right there. To walk according to their own lusts. Uh, In other words, they have a reason for for pushing God out of their worldview. They have a reason for that. And the reason for wanting to push God out of, of their worldview is because then they have no accountability whatsoever, which leaves you free to live how? According to your own lusts. I mean, there's a sense in our, in our, in our, in our depraved humanness we could say, kind of, yeah, it'd be kind of nice if there wasn't a God right now because then I could do whatever I wanted. You know, we joke sometimes like, oh, you know, we could get away with this or that, but that whole integrity thing, doggone integrity. You know, we joke as a family sometimes. Because, but in reality, yeah, you can get away with an awful lot if there's no God, right? You can be awful selfish, but they walk according to their own lust. They walk according to, uh, to their own desires. Look at verse 5. So I'll continue on to verse 5. And I'll read verses 5 through 7 here. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What's the problem? The problem is that they willfully forget. Willfully forget. What does that mean? It's a volitional choosing not to not to look at certain information. Right? And, and and if you've ever seen a kid who got caught and thought he got away with it, and then you bring the evidence to him, it's like, oh, and then they, they almost willfully forget, like, I just don't want to even believe this evidence exists. I remember that happening to a family member where she had chocolate all over her mouth, and she's <laughs> I did not eat the chocolate. Well, it's right there, it's obvious for those who want to see it, to see it. And, and, uh, but this tells us something, too. When, it, when the Bible says that they willfully forget, that tells us that the problem is not a lack of information, Problem is not a lack of information. It's a spiritual condition of the heart that says we will no longer take into account the information that is there. Does that make sense? I mean, really, no one is going to go to hell because of lack of information. In fact, the Bible says there's enough information to know just in creation that we should seek God You say, but yeah, but that doesn't mean that's not enough information to, to, to find God, but the Bible is very clear that the sovereign God says if you seek him, you will what? You will find him. So God in his sovereignty will make sure that he calls somebody to bring the gospel to you in that moment, but here's the, here's the point. The problem isn't our lack of information, the problem is the spiritual condition of the heart. That's the sin problem. And so uh, that refusal to accept the information that has been revealed is it, they willfully forget. They discount information. And they willfully forget four things in, the, in, the, in those three verses that we just read. Here's what they are. Number one, they willfully forget the creation. Remember what it said in verse five? It says, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. They willfully forget that the world was created. In fact, if you study all, sciences at all, one of the first things that you learn Is that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. But you know what? Here it is. Anyone see matter today on the way in? Anyone? All of us. It's around us. We we feel it, we touch it. But scientifically, it shouldn't even be here. Yet here it is. Logically, we learned that every effect must have a cause. You can't have an effect without a cause. Uh, you know, and, and if you have a, a room full of dominoes and you walk in and you see them falling, that means that somebody knocked the domino over, right? There, there has to be a cause that, that for, for the effects. And yet, we live in a universe where there are causes and effects all around. There had to be a first cause. Now, logically, a first cause can't cause itself because it had, you'd have to keep going backwards. So it doesn't make any sense that things would be in motion. But you know what? Here we are. In motion. It's obvious. It's uh, obvious. Um, logically as well, every design must have what? A designer. If I took the primary colors and paint cans and I put them right here, and and uh, and, and I put a little, a little grenade or a fire—not a firecracker—that wouldn't be enough. But what are they called? M80s. Remember those? The fact that I remember what those are called is not a good sign. But <laughs> but you you throw an M80 in there and blow it up. Do you think this is what we would have right here? I mean, if I did that, that would be quite a trick, right? But in reality, if I did that, first I'd get in trouble with Jamie for, for ruining everything. But it would just be a mess. Why? Because when there is no designer, we have chaos. That's what results. We see that every day, all of the time. And yet when it comes to the most designed thing that we can understand, the design of the human body, the design of the universe, the design all around us, we say, just happened by chance. I'm sorry, but that is not weighing out the information. That is a willful ignorance of the creation of the world. It's a willful ignorance. The second thing that, that they willfully forget is, is, is the first destruction. We oftentimes call it the flood or the deluge. Let's look at verse, uh, verse six again. We read, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. You know, there is evidence all around us of a global flood. I mean, you, you just watch National Geographic or Discovery Channel or all of those, and no matter where they are, they're going to say at one point this was underwater. Everywhere. Right? You're going to you find sedimentary uh, rocks in every desert where there isn't. What you, you find is that there's evidence. Of, of a flood all around you. And they have to willfully ignore that information. They have to willfully forget that information. Uh, th- here's a, a picture of a tree. Um, it's actually a petrified tree. And, and what you find is that the bottom of that tree is around 70 million years old, where the top of the tree is in the 20s of millions of years old. So how in the world did that happen? Do trees live 50 million years? They have to look at the information and they have to forget it. You have to pretend that it doesn't exist, which is why you find this kind of evidence in creation magazines, or can ham uh, some. You won't find it, but you also find it in the, in the real world. You find that stuff. You 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 find. Uh, uh, by the way, here's rock layers uh, of Mount St. Helens that are over 20 million years old, even though we know they have that they were created in 1980. Wait a minute. how did that happen? Why? Because it's when there's a natural disaster. These things require natural. I'm telling you, you I, I, uh, I used to really get into archaeology, so if I get a little passionate, forget me there. But you, you study archaeology, and what you find is the accounts of the Bible hold true. The accounts of the Bible hold true. And uh, even at, when we were at camp, we went to a, uh, a cave, and they had some petrified wood, and, and the stories they come up with are just not, they're scientifically provable that they're false. And yet... They would rather believe that than to believe what the actual evidence suggests. The, the, these mockers are going to willfully, they're going to willfully forget the creation, they're going to willfully forget the first destruction. And number three, they're going to willfully forget the preservation in the present tense. Look at verse seven, verse the, this verse seven, the first part of the verse uh, right there. It says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. So he's saying that that all of creation is actually being preserved right now by God Himself, uh, and they they forget that. When you think of the power of an atom, I think I've shared this before, but the power of an atom is, is incredible. And that's just in one atom. This is something we can't even see, and there are millions and billions of those, and on on, on every little thing that we can see. I mean, this amazing power. That we have in, in, in an atom. And so far, scientifically, there's nothing to explain how all of that power gets harnessed into such a small space. But yet, God sustains it all. I like the way it's written by, uh, by Elihu in Job. And I understand Elihu uh, was, was not the greatest friend to Job. But Elihu, uh, Elihu in the book of Job was, was making a bunch of true statements and, then, and, then, and, and, and God shows how if you, if you, didn't under, if you did not understand the, the, un, the concept of eternity, the eternal nature of God, even with these true statements, you can come up with a false conclusion. But here's what he said as part of the true statements. He said in Job chapter 34, he said, if he, God, should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Right now, in the very moment. If God were to just say, I'm not going to hold this together anymore. I'm no longer going to hold those atoms together the way they're held together in your body, right here, right now. If all he had to do was just stop doing what he's presently doing, what would happen to us? We would be consumed and we would be turned to dust. And that gives a new perspective when you think of the mockers who are are standing there and saying, there's no God And making fun of anyone who believes in God. All the while, God is holding their atoms together. Saying, oh yeah? Right? And God is holding holding them together. And they willfully ignore this. The fourth thing that we see in this text that that they willfully forget is the coming destruction. The second half of verse 7, we read this. but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You know, here's the point. The mockers that we're going to have around us, they're going to sound so good. They're going to make you feel horrible because of what you believe. and so on. But in reality, they're the ones who are just plugging their ears. They're the ones who are refusing to see the evidence that is around them. All of the time. They will willfully ignore these things. Why? So that they can live according to their flesh. Without fear of retribution. And they, they mock. And, and they mock those who believe the truth. But they, and they forget. But you don't have to. They forget. But you, you don't have to. In fact, what does it say in verse 8? It says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. The, though they willfully forget, you don't have to forget. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This verse has been taken out of context so many times, so I, I think it, it's, it's only fair for me to explain what they don't mean before I explain what it does mean. Is that okay? Um, but what this does not mean. First of all, this does not mean that it's a secret code for understanding the doctrine of eschatology, or the, do, the doctrine of future things. That's not anywhere in the context here. That's not what it's talking about. It, it, it's not some. and I've seen people where well well, the day is, is a thousand years, Then in this text where it says the day of the Lord, well, that must mean a thousand years, and Christ was in the tomb for three days, so there are going to be three thousand, and they come up with all these things to try and find out the date of the rapture, right? You, you've seen those, right? Where people sell all their belongings as a church because they don't need them anymore. They're going to be raptured. And then the next day, they're all embarrassed, and because, because God didn't come back at the moment that they said. That's not what this is. In fact, if they would read the Bible, Matthew 24:36 says that only the Father knows when the timing was gonna be. Like, good luck guessing. The angels don't even know. They're not gonna get it right. So why do we waste our time getting some, trying to get the date right? That's not the point of eschatology. We, by the way, we should study eschatology. I'm not saying don't study eschatology. But when you come up with a date for the rapture, then don't sell your stuff, okay? In fact, he goes on to say that, that when he does come, he's gonna come as a thief in the night. He says that in, um, in 1 Thessalonians. He actually says that in the very next verse that we'll study next week to remind us that that's, it, that's not the point of what he's getting at. Uh, and we also know this because he says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Throw that into your eschatology charts and you'll get really messed up, right? And the other thing, it's not. It's not a mystical timelessness, like uh, as if, as if rea- in reality, time did not exist. I heard this with a lot in the seminary. That there's no such thing as time. It's just an appearance of time for humans and, and so on. That's not what it says either. Uh, th- that's not what we find. What we do find is that God is not pressured by time. Right? God is not pressure, pressure, he's in no rush. He has an infinite amount of it. God has always been, and he always will be. So a day, a thousand years, what's the difference, right? I mean, to, to a man of infinite riches, a penny is as a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars is a penny, right? It, it's not a big deal to, to the, if he has infinite riches, Uh, That's not me, because $1,000 is nice. (laughs) I can can buy a lot of food with $1,000. But for God, eternity. Hey, you know what? If I have to wait a day, no big deal. Wait a thousand years, no big deal. That's God. And we sometimes forget, uh, we, we forget. In fact, I've asked, why is it so easy to forget the, the, God's acts of creation? Why is it so easy to forget that he is sustaining the world right now and that he's, he's going to one day hold his creatures accountable? Why is it so easy to forget those things? And the answer is because we're not eternal. We, we are, we're, we're limited. Sorry for kicking over the, the bear there. Sorry. Uh, looks good. We make mistakes, too, right? But we're not eternal. In fact, in in geometric terms, uh, you look at it and you see that we we have relatively short lifespans, and so we fail to see the big picture. Think of it um, in geometric terms. A man is like a line segment. We have a beginning, we have an end. This is the mortal man by nature. We have a beginning, we have an end. Now, by the grace of God, we can become what they call a ray, and we can go on for eternity, thanks to God. But man in his mortal state is, has a beginning and an end where God is aligned. He, ha- he goes on from infinity past. He will go on forever, and we see, uh, we see this eternal nature of God. But we are humans. We only have this short little piece of, of, of history uh, by which to judge. In fact, we, we grew up with sitcoms, Right? I mean, I grew up with sitcoms where the hero is introduced, the villain is introduced, the conflict arises, the battle ensues, and a victor is crowned, all in three minutes. 22 minutes, if you count commercials. Right? And we expect this, and we see this, and so it's very hard for us to see our, own, our whole life as just a little piece of history. And so we think, well, I haven't seen miracles. Boy, things have been the way, things have always been... So it's easy for us to extend into the past and say since I haven't seen any of these things, and in, all, in all the past, it's the same, in the future, it's the same way. And so it's easy for us to disregard God's intervention in the world, but the, but the evidence is always right there. So God, God is eternal. With, with the Lord, one day, this is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Let's continue and read verse verse 9, our last verse for today. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here he's talking about the promise, both, this is a negative and a positive thing, the promise that he had just made in the context that those who follow false doctrine and propagate false doctrine are going to receive their condemnation and for those who are believers are going to receive their rewards. And yet, here we are on earth and we're, we're trusting in that. It's called faith, right? Trusting that, that because of the way we live our lives and, and because that we surrender our lives and, be, and become followers of Jesus Christ, that he's offered us something uh, infinitely better, right? And... And so we surrender the lives that we have because of that. Um, And there's this promise. And so some can say, but the Lord is slack. What they mean by that, is he actually gonna do it? Is he actually gonna gonna do this concerning his promise? As some count slackness. But here's the answer, but it's long-suffering towards us. It's long-suffering towards us. You put those together. God is not short on time, and he's patient. Put those two thoughts together. And it makes sense why sometimes things don't happen on our timetables. You know, it doesn't matter if God promised something uh, a a day ago or 3,000 years ago. If he promised that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. That's all there is to it. And we ought not forget that. That's what Peter's saying. Don't forget this. Don't forget this one thing. You know, when the mockers make fun of God, or even the belief in God. All the while, God is sustaining their very existence, holding the atoms in their body together. And they're trespassing on God's territory simply by breathing God's air. And yet they mock. And the question that comes to my mind is, why doesn't God just simply consume them? We know he can. Why doesn't God just simply consume them? And the answer is in the verse that we just read. The answer is that God still loves them and he's giving them every opportunity to repent. God is long-suffering, he's patient, not willing that anyone, what? Should perish. That all should come to repentance. God still loves them. If that doesn't speak to the love of God, because I'll tell you what, if I were, were keeping a person alive, Maybe if the guy were falling off a cliff and I'm holding him up and then he says, if you let me up, I'm going to kill you. right? Or I'm going to beat you up. I'm gonna, hey, wouldn't there be a temptation to just say, "We're not even saying, to just kind of, okay. <laughs> right? That's my human nature, right? God is sustaining them and they're making fun of him and he says, I'm going to hold you out a little longer. I'm going to give you a chance to change your mind. Because he loves us. That's a loving God. And I'm glad that we have a loving God who loves better than I love. A God who loved me long enough to keep me alive long before I accepted him as Christ. A God who, in the form of his son, was on the cross, and while they're crucifying him, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a God of love. That's the God we serve. By the way, this is a God we're celebrating like we celebrated this morning when we sang. Amen? That is an amazing God. Now, when it says that God is is not willing that any should perish, some have taken this verse to say, well, that means that everyone goes to heaven, right? Uh, you, you'll find that in a lot of the popular things today. But I would just say, don't forget what we read back in chapter two, remember the, where he talked about the false doctrine and he said, these are wells without water, clouds carried off by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In context, he, he is not saying that everyone's going to heaven. Um, does God effectually change or, or control a person's volition, their ability to choose? Yes, he does in history, he does at times. Uh, to accomplish his will, but there's nothing in Scripture to suggest, uh, suggest that everyone is going to accept uh, accept the truth, and uh, and so God allows us to make some of those choices as well. But here in this text, we see a glimpse of God's heart. We see a glimpse of a heart that wants us to repent, and He's holding off, giving us more and more opportunities. And instead of responding by saying, "Wow." God is gracious, we respond by saying, wow, God must not exist. I'm getting away with this. You know, and, uh, and it reminds me of one, uh, one last story. I remember when I was in, I think it was 7th or 8th grade, we were in school, the window was open, and some kid was asked by the parent to stay in the car for just a few moments as the parent came, in, and we could even hear the parent say, just stay right there, I'll be right back. Well, the parent goes in, and the kid discovered the uh, the horn. And it was during school, office, so he just started pressing that horn. Honk, honk, honk. He's honking this horn all of this time. And nothing was happening. So, so all, this whole time, his parents was there. And I don't know what happened in the office, but the parent didn't come right away because I lost concentration for at least half the class. right? But then at one point, I, I, I do remember the parent finally coming out and and... That child knew immediately he was in trouble. He was in trouble. Why? Because there's something in his mind, because in that short period of time, he could do it and he could get away with it. So he continued to do it. But there came a point when the parent came back. You know, that's where we are in a sense with God. We we sometimes think we're getting away with things because God isn't immediately doing what he could do to punish us. You've heard the atheists say, Well, I'll believe in God if he strikes me dead right now. No, he'll be dead. If God treated you like he deserved right now, you would be dead. That's true of me too, right? So fortunately, we have a God who is long-suffering, who does not will anyone to perish. Now, do people perish? Yes, they perish. But not because God willed it. They perish because they refuse to take advantage of the grace that God offers. Does that make sense? And here we have the gospel in a nutshell. So how shall we then live? I'll close with these two thoughts. Number one, Don't think that because uh, mockers seemingly get away with everything, that God is absent, slack, or non-existent. And and so sometimes we can even become jealous of the world because it seems like they're getting away with everything. Be glad you're not getting away with everything if the Lord is, is catching you. Don't think that. He is there. He is real. And he will follow through on everything he's promised. Condemnation for the wicked. Restoration for, for those who repent. And forgiveness. Eternity in heaven for those who repent. God will keep every single one of those promises. And one day, for those of us who have accepted that grace, we'll stand together a million years from now. We could talk about this day. Say, boy, how short life seemed. Right? How short that was when God offered us an eternity. The second thing I would say is, if you seemingly are getting away with sinful behavior, know that you are not. It's just the mercy of a God who is calling you to repentance. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity. There might be someone here today who would have to say, Pastor Dave, I'm a a seeker. I've I've never put my faith or trust in Jesus Christ. Because in the back of my mind, I've always wondered, is is the existence of God real? Is is there really a promise of, a, of a heaven and hell? Is all that stuff real? Or is all of that stuff just made up? And, and if that's you today, I would urge you to make it right with God right here, right now. And in a few moments, I'll give you a chance. You can come forward and you can come talk to me. And I will, I, I will uh, introduce you to someone who can just take God's word and show you from Scripture the sun-tested truth, how you can know for sure that you are destined for heaven. There might be some of you who say, Pastor I know I'm a believer, I know that I'm saved, but I have been living in a way as if God were not going to punish my sins. I've been living in such a way, I've been living as if there's no God and forgetting the fact that there is a God who's watching everything that I do. And there might be some sins that the Holy Spirit's gonna bring to your mind right now, habits in your life that he's gonna bring to your, your mind right now. And I would urge you just to come forward. You don't have to come talk to me. Just come forward and deal with God. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Talk to him about it right here, okay? And if you have some sins and you confess that to you, you confess that to God, And he will forgive you of those sins. He will cleanse you of those sins. And you will walk out of here with your head held high, with a clear conscience between you and God. There's nothing greater than that. Amen? There might be some of you then who also feel like, I've just been feeling discouraged because of the mocking. Discouraged because so few people seem to to give credence to the Bible. And so few people, and, and you've become discouraged I would encourage you to say, the fact that people are mocking you is a sign that you're doing what is right. Continue in this word. Continue in the sun of truth so that you can have a pure, sincere mind. And, and just walk out of here today with that encouragement. But in one of those three ways, my prayer is that every single person would, would respond in one of those three ways. Whether it's coming to me, whether it's coming forward, or right from your own seat. Uh, realizing, just basking in the realization that we have the truth regardless of what the mockers around us say. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll give you that opportunity to respond. Heavenly Father, I do thank you again for your word. I thank you for it all of the time, Lord, because it is a light into our path. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you'd work in our hearts, that if there's anyone that needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior right now, I pray that this would be that day. Lord, we were so excited to hear of one of our teens accepting you this week. I pray, Lord, that that if there's any in this room right now that do not know you, they've been putting you off, not believing, I pray that right now would be that time. And Lord, if there's sins, I pray right now, even as we're praying, that you would just convict our hearts. Bring those sins to mind so that we can confess those sins to you, recognizing that you are still there. And even though you don't punish us right away, we know that you are still watching. And so Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of that grace that you offer and the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I pray to you that we would not be discouraged by the mockers around us, but that would actually strengthen our resolve to keep steady in the truth of your word. And I pray this in Christ's name.